Hey guys, Michael here with Wedding Videography School. If you're looking for a solid and reliable contract that you can feel good about sending to your clients, look no further than the WVS contract, crafted by a licensed attorney in the state of Colorado. It might just be the best contract for wedding videographers in all of North America, or even maybe the world. Uh, hard to know. Regardless, if you're unsure of whether the contract you're using right now is good enough, go to WeddingVideographySchool.com right now, enter the password podcast, and start protecting yourself and your business today. WeddingVideographySchool.com. Hope you guys are having a great week, great day, great month, great life, really. Uh, <laughs> uh, today, I'm just going to hop right into this show. I did a interview with Miguel Garcia of Miguel Garcia Studios uh, out in Pasadena, California. And the thing I love about Miguel is he's really an open book. Um, when you sit down with him and talk to him, he's just, uh, he's just somebody who's happy to talk and happy to share everything he knows about wedding videography. And Miguel has, uh, been in business for three or four years now, but he's really built up a great business for himself and for his family. And so I really respect, uh, you know, him as a person and as a business person and as a wedding videographer. And so it's, it's always a pleasure to talk to him. So hopefully you guys will enjoy this interview. I did want to let you know that originally I had planned to put this interview on YouTube and we were basically going to do the Skype conversation, which we did. And I recorded it and then I kind of got, I got the footage at the end and realized it, it was like at a weird frame rate, like 15 frames per second or something. So it looked really stupid and... So I decided not really to use that. Uh, I ended up just using the audio. So don't get confused by that. But uh, just so you know, that's in there. Yeah, guys, hope you really enjoy this interview with Miguel. Hey, Miguel. Good to have you on the show again, man. Hey, thanks for having me back on. Yeah, really appreciate you taking the time. I know that a lot of people got a lot of great information You from you back when you were on uh, episode uh seven of the podcast way so, back in the day <laughs> well we're on episode 22 so it wasn't that far back but someday it will be forever ago and people will watch this and hopefully still get some good info um yeah yeah yeah, and so, sure. yeah so if you haven't heard podcast episode seven make sure you go back and check that out we talked to miguel back then about how he got started um a little bit about uh, what you look for in second shooters. And we mostly talked about money, kind of managing your finance and getting into the the right mindset when it comes to managing your money. So that was a great show. Uh, and if you guys want to hear that, just check out uh, episode seven. Uh, yeah, but- I, I still get contacts of people that hear that message and they reach out to me and they're like, oh man, thank you so much for doing that and talking about not getting in debt with equipment but yeah just last week somebody reached out to me that i knew and they're like i was going to work and i wanted to hear something that was going to be educational and help me with my finances because i just did a real bad job this you know past year and he sent me a screenshot of our uh, of your podcast but with me on and i was like 
just laughing. I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Well, yeah, I, I, I told you a little bit before the show here that I, I went back and listened to that. And actually there was some good information in there that I actually hadn't thought about in a while. And it was, it was a good refresher even for me. Um, and, and to sure. hear you talk about some of those things and say in a different way than how I think of it a lot of times. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of times we're wrapped up in our own heads and in our own minds with our own thoughts and talking to other people and listening to other people's ideas can be extremely invaluable. So uh, that's how I felt listening back on that episode. Um, but, cool. but today I want to, we got some new stuff to talk about. Um, yeah, we do. We got a lot of stuff to talk about and hopefully we won't drag it like we did in episode seven. Um, yeah, I've got the, uh, I'm setting the timer right now. <laughs> We're going to start that. So uh, we'll, we'll hear that go off uh, probably sooner than we'd like, but we'll, uh, we'll keep it to an hour today. And um, so, yeah, let's jump right into it. Uh, I know that one of the things we wanted to talk about was uh, raising our prices, but continuing to book. So I, yeah. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on on what that exactly means to you and maybe your your approach or yeah. um what you found has been working for you or not working whatever you got to share i want to i want to hear about it yeah uh definitely well there's two camps usually of uh pricing for videography that i've uh come to realize uh one that shoots probably about 75 weddings and stays you know more in the lower market and then you have those that are trying to raise their prices um, above the average uh, booking price and trying to do less. Mm -hmm. So what I'm really going to touch on is the second one, where was what I've done with my businesses every year and actually every like probably four months, I raise my prices um, and I'm trying to get out of that average price range. So for videography, photography, we kind of fall in the same place. I would say videography, they usually have a little higher price um as far as booking um so it's between the two thousand to the three thousand dollars that eighty percent of us fall into and so to me getting out of that percentage was my main goal the last i don't know year year and a half um because i didn't want to fall into that and get stuck in that i didn't want to have to shoot 40 to 50 weddings um i wanted to stay more i see you smiling <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I'm sure I'll have, I might have to record my own <laughs> podcast on, on, uh, or episode on this particular topic, but I want, you to, I want you to do most of the talking today. So I'll try to, I'll refrain yeah. from, from interjecting <laughs> with any comments. Uh, my goal, yeah, is to be more in the 25 uh, range and be more, yeah, the higher end market. So, and so when you say higher end, uh, what, what are those prices look like for you guys out there in California? Um, I mean, eventually it's over 6,000 for sure. Uh, so I'm still, this is my sixth year. So just to let everybody know, listeners, viewers, uh, this is my sixth year. And so I'm just as of last year, last year was the first year I went out of the 3000 range. So my goal is to get into 4,000, 5,000, just keep on moving up. But, uh, yeah, I mean, out here, 6,000 is pretty, pretty uh, average for some of the top uh, filmmakers that I know and that are doing. I, I think a lot of people probably want to know, like, when you raise your prices, yeah. are you doing that annually? Uh, are you doing that just 
whenever you feel like it like what's what's kind of your strategy there yeah so um and, and I mean, when you do it how much you know like how, how much should people be raising their prices by yeah for sure so the way i've always done it is um depending on my bookings. so once i book um uh, i don't know say about six weddings that's when i was raising my prices and i would raise it I really didn't have a certain uh, formula or anything, but I was probably raising it like $500 um, in the beginning. I started off uh, first year, well, after the first couple weddings of, you know, just trying to get my foot in the door. I think my first initial package price that I did back in the day was about $1,000. Uh, so from there, I was raising it $500 every like about six bookings. So if I would, once I booked that six one, I felt that I had the experience under my belt. I had uh, more editing. Uh, I've gotten better, been able to, you know, deliver better quality. Um, so all those things I was taking in consideration. And so I was, and it would probably be around four months. So it was around that time frame, either four months or six bookings. Okay. Awesome. And so when you're, when you do that, what do you see as far as I, cause I, I know everybody's concerned about when they're raising their prices. Yeah. Is there going to be a drop off, right? Are you all of a sudden yeah. not going to be booking as many weddings? Um, what, what's your experience been as far as yeah. that goes? And maybe talk a little bit more in terms, like, obviously if you're starting out at a thousand and moving to 1500, you're probably not really going to have any drop off, but have you had any drop off at the price that you're at now? And then moving forward, what, what do you expect there? Yeah. Uh, in the beginning there wasn't, um, after, I think once I got over the $2,500, that's when I did start noticing a drop off. So first and foremost, I think most of us have to just believe in ourselves, uh, because we're the number one person in front of, um, stopping us from raising our prices. We sell doubt. We think we're not going to continue to book. We're afraid that, uh, you know, we're not gonna be able to pay the bills. And so we're our own worst enemy when it comes to this. And so once you get over that, I think once you have the confidence and you're able to really believe in yourself and what you've been able to produce, then yeah, being able to raise your price, but expect that, that there is going to be a drop off, expect that, you know, there are going to be people that are going to say, sorry, I can't afford that. Um, and you just got to hold strong. It's the advice that I was given and, you know, just don't, don't let the, idea of having to give them a discount to book the first wedding once you raise your prices because the word's going to get out to the wedding planners to whoever you're working with they're going to tell their friends whoever you gave that discount to and so you're not really um establishing your price at that range so definitely be expected to lose weddings um my advice is if it you raise it too much uh, a good uh a good time range is probably about four months. If you haven't booked anything in four months, then you need to go back and check how much did you raise. Maybe you did raise it a little bit too much or two, your perceived value, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. Um, is your quality not really matching your price compared to what else is out there? Yeah. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, in terms of what, other people, cause I tell people all the time, you got to look at what other people in your market are doing, right? You yeah. got to know what, what the competition's videos look like. You got to know what they're offering in terms of, you know, are they just offering, is their base package just a highlight film or yeah. are they offering other things with that? 
Um, and I'm right. not saying you got to match that, but I think it's important to know what other people are doing. Is there a way that you've found it really easy to kind of figure out what your competition is doing? Cause I know there's a lot of videographers, uh, including yeah. myself at the moment, I I've gone back and forth on this, but I right. don't, I don't have any pricing information on my website. So yeah. people have to literally get in touch with me via email uh, to find any of that information out. So I don't know if you, yeah. what have, how have you been finding out what other people are charging? Um, so what I, what I've, I've done it two ways as well. So before I answer that question, um, I've had my prices on and my prices without what I found out is with my pricing without, I was getting more inquiries and able to connect with more people, but I didn't have the time, um, as of, I don't know, a year and a half ago to, actually follow up with every single one of them so what i did is i put my prices on that way i could eliminate those that were just coming in too low um so to answer your question um i there is a few videographer companies that are either a year ahead of me or started around the same time that i did that i check with and i know a couple of them and we you know talk to each other so i kind of know where their price range is at what they're offering and so i we're, I'm, I check in with them from time to time, and I think more so with those that are a year or two ahead of me um, that I feel that have you know been more established and see what they're offering and uh, what their price range is. And so I've always like been chasing them, I guess, try to stay a little bit behind them quality-wise and as far as price-wise, making sure that uh, – and I think overall it just brings value to videography. I mean, uh, one of the workshops that I went to a while ago, I mean, um, you talked about Ray Roman before. He talks about, you know, getting high-end clients, raising your prices. Uh, and his reason for this is because he wants to bring uh, videography and the value of us as an industry all up. Because if we all are in the two dollars $3,000, we're never going to get out of that range. And so once we all start bringing our prices up, we're able to actually, you know, start charging the money that we should be charging. Yeah, and, and I... I, I know there's probably going to be some people listening that think, well, what's wrong with two to three thousand dollars? There's nothing I, wrong with that. Yeah, there's there's nothing. But I will say that when you get older and you start having a family and you've got a house right. and you've got bigger responsibilities that come with getting older, um, you know, that two thousand dollars doesn't go quite as far. Right. Yeah. Um, and we're, we're dealing and you, especially when you're running a business, you got to pay for all the different kinds of insurance you need. You got to pay yeah. for, uh, attorney costs. If, if you have some of those, yeah. uh, I know I've got a little bit of that going on, especially with the drone stuff that I'm doing in the drone industry. It, okay. There's all sorts of expenses that are going to come up that you don't really think about right now when you're in that $2,000 range. But as you start to get older, and you get that more, you know, your business grows and you have more responsibility and you need more liability coverages and uh, you need better equipment. Maybe you want to, you know, get three 1DX Mark IIs or something, you know, and that's, <laughs> that's just $15,000 in cameras, you know. Yeah. I, I wouldn't necessarily suggest going out and getting a red camera for weddings or anything. That seems like a, a pain, but. Uh, yeah. you know, like if you want to grow your business to be huge and successful, you're going to need more money. Um, and I just don't know that $2,000 that, and even 3000, like I, sometimes I question whether that's really all that sustainable as well. So, yeah, I mean, you would have to be doing, yeah, close to a hundred weddings a year, um, to offset it, um, the lower pricing, but yeah, definitely agree with all that. 
It, you talked a little bit about, or you mentioned perceived perceived value. Can you expand on that? And what, what does that mean to you? And how, how do you kind of incorporate that into your business model? Uh, yeah. So this is something I've been studying and I've learned from good friends of mine. Uh, one of my good friends is a photographer and I've learned a lot from photographers because they've been doing this a little bit longer than I, than we have as videographers. And I feel, um, they've already, instead of me inventing the uh, formula, they've already, you know, been doing it for a little bit longer and I could just lean off of them, but I have a good friend. You just have to be honest with yourself. And another way is you could just have somebody evaluate it. I think everybody should have a mentor in their life, somebody that uh, has been doing this a little bit longer. I've been um, fortunate to have a couple people in my life that um, from the day I started um, that I've They've been they've been able to be honest with me and tell me, okay, this is you know where you need to be. This is where you need to work on next. So uh, yeah, I definitely have somebody to reach out to and um, be open to the criticism. You know that's the number one when number one way we're able to grow. Actually, being able to humble yourself and know that there's room for growth. Yeah, and real quick, so it's funny that you said that because I just had. Uh, I was just talking to Dustin Stelly, who appeared on this podcast uh, back, maybe it was like episode two or something. <laughs> and he said the same thing. He's been doing some work for this production company. And he said it was the best thing about the, this job that he's been doing is yeah. he's learning from people that know so much more than him. And he yeah. said he's grown more just in the, like the last few months than he has in the, like the last three years. So yeah, that's huge. to your point, you know, having somebody that you can ask questions to, that you can bounce things off of, who can guide you. And if you're willing to kind of accept that criticism, um, yeah. it, it can it can really be uh, a, just a really fast way to grow your skills. Yeah. One thing that I also want to share is uh, I've, I second shot with all uh, I still second shoot with the other studios. And it's usually with other studios that have been doing this a little bit longer than me. And that's exactly what comes from that. Just learning um, how they do it and being able to see an actual wedding and how they run it. I mean, we're so used to doing our own weddings and, you know, doing it our own way that we just fall into that routine and we just think that's that's it. But being able to shoot with somebody else and being able to see something different and be like, hey, that's something that I could, you know, pick up on and um, it works out for them and I could see why they're doing it. But, um, I've always done that. I feel it creates just good, uh, relationships, being able to shoot with other people. Awesome. So let's get back to, you were talking about perceived value and I kind of threw us off track by yeah. asking about the, the mentorship, but, um, no, there's different well, ways. Um, yeah, let's think how do people, way how people is, do that? Another way is, um, just being able to, uh, Separating yourself from the other videographers, uh, being looked at as a leader in your community. So either by uh, teaching, um, uh, getting involved with different, um, there's different industry uh, groups that do events, stuff like that, um, that you could, you know, be part of either videography wise or get on the actual board uh, to help them out, plan, plan out their events, uh, doing podcasts, YouTubes. I mean, there's now so many different ways to be an educator and be looked at as a leader uh, for us that we really, we don't uh, need to put that much money into it to create a you know YouTube channel. But that is one way of looking or giving yourself more value 
in your industry and being looked at different from the other ones because that's basically what you want to do you want to stand out from everybody else um and being able to uh be an educator and teacher i think is one of the key ways to do it as far as now with perceived value is there anything that you're doing with your packages or anything that you're doing with your with your videos or anything like that that kind of ties into the perceived value or is it more of just like um kind of how you carry yourself and getting involved in community and no, finding a mentor both. and okay yeah it's all i think it's all around um definitely in your packages and your videos um one of the things that helped me out the most is adding uh lights to like my reception shots um so a lot of times we get into a wedding and the reception is lit up all nice and here comes the speeches you set it up at the perfect location and what happens they dim down the lights and create this mood and then your your settings are all off and now your subjects in the dark so what i started doing a couple of years ago as soon as i was able to afford it is bringing my own lights i set it up i i talk with the dj i talk to my clients i tell them you know when it comes to the speeches I need the person to stand in a certain place in order for the video to come out the way you've seen it on my website. So having good lighting, uh, that way they're not in the dark. Also having a nice lighting on the um, bride and groom to get the reaction shot. Um, all that, I came to realize too that DJs, um, I don't know who else, probably venues would be uh, people that would charge extra for lighting to the client. So that's something that they're you know offered when they book them. And so when I talk to them, I tell them, well, when you're booking me, you're getting this already included with the price. So mm. that's adding value to something that I don't have to, I don't have to list that on my package to say, oh, you're getting these lights with, you know, when you book me, I just tell them, you know, it's going to look good. You don't got to worry about the lighting for your first dance, for your speeches, for your father, daughter, mother, son dance, all that's going to be lit well, because that comes with me. Another thing is drones. Uh, you know, it's been a couple of years now we've been using drones um in our films and everything and that makes it look so much like a movie and so when i talk to the client i sit down with them i was like the drone comes with me so when you book me i mean some people charge extra that's cool um to me i put it into my initial package that way i could bring the value of it a little, little bit higher but i explained to them when i talk to them this is what you're paying for you're you know you're going to be getting drone shots you're going to be getting well-lit shots throughout the day no matter what the circumstances are and I want them to know that all of this is included and I'm not going to be charging them, you know, for every single little thing afterwards. Awesome, man. And we haven't really talked about lighting setups, I don't think, on this show. But what when you bring lights to do toasts or dances or whatever in that reception space, what, what does that look like? Uh, and just like a 30 second maybe explanation of maybe the lights that you use and then where you where you set those up at. Uh, yeah, so I got two uh, main lights. So I use a, a Dita light, and um, I got to come back to you with the other name on the other one. But I just got this one, and it's brand new where it just runs on battery. I don't have to plug it into a wall outlet, which is usually what you're looking for um, at a reception somewhere to plug in that isn't already taken. So I use a key light and a hair light on the subject. So that's uh, my speaker. And then I use, uh, um, what do you call it, a battery operated light for the uh, bride and groom how far away from your subjects are you with those lights do you think oh the my main lights i could shoot across the room probably 30 feet so these are some 
and really good lights. And those are both the, the, all the lights that you use are battery powered. No, so the first oh, two, first one is not. My my two main lights are you connect to the outlet. The new one I got is battery operated, where I don't have to depend on the outlet. Um, and you could adjust so it's a floodlight, so where you could just do a spotlight on their face, and it's not getting on the people that are sitting around. A lot of the times, you know, my old light. I would turn it on and then the people that were sitting in the front rows or the tables around, they would turn around and I was like, sorry, you know, even with my barn doors, I couldn't funnel it enough. But yeah, now I'm able to just do the face of the speaker and the bride and groom. And so my main goal with that is to make sure that I don't disrupt their lighting ambience. They want a certain vibe and I totally get that. So I let them know from be right from the get go when they're before they book me. I'm just going to turn them on and turn it off as soon as the speeches are done. As soon as your dance is done, it's off and you could have your lighting exactly the way it is. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome, man. Um, so I think, did you say let's, well, how, let me ask you this real quick yeah. and then we'll move on to some other topics. Um, as far as pricing goes, as far as how many, like how many weddings, like ideally do you want to shoot every year? Ideally, I think probably 25 would be good. Okay. And then what do you think as price point, you, what, what price point do you think you want to hit if you were doing 25 a year, at least um, for now? I know it, it always changes. So it always if you guys changes. are watching yeah. this a year from now, he's <laughs> going to have a different answer for you. But. Yeah. 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 I think right now I would be happy, like starting at 4,200. Cool. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, a few months ago I was happy where i'm at now and so i think it just changes every time but yeah awesome that's, that, that's the short answer <laughs> i know i i feel like we could spend forever on that but we, yeah. i do want to get onto some of these other topics um how do you interact with your clients i feel like there's a lot of people out there who it's i feel like this is kind of a weird industry because yeah. Maybe it's just the people I run into, but I run into a lot of videographers that are just sort of odd and kind of awkward in terms of their personality. Um, and maybe this is the pot calling the kettle black or whatever that could be. Cause I'm a little, maybe I'm a little odd myself, but I think I'm pretty normal, but in terms of interacting with your clients, like other than like not being a complete weirdo, yeah. what, what's some advice that we, you can give people? Oh man. Um, some advice is just, I, I think it really depends on your brand. So knowing what kind of brand you are, um, there's some people that really uh, want to be friends with their clients. And the other side of that is somebody just wants to provide the service to the client. So they just want to be looked at as a company that provided the service a hundred percent well, and they delivered it well and they want to be thanked for it, but they don't want to be their best friend. What, so, what do you think, which category do you fall into? I, I'm right now in the middle, but I'm leaning more towards the second one where uh, I'm not trying to be the best friend. I want to let them know that I'm going to provide good customer service from beginning to end. But uh, yeah, they don't have to worry about me trying to add them on Facebook and Instagram and be their BFF. Um, That's, it's gonna, crazy I'm, that you mentioned that because I just did this series called The Big Ten. Uh, a little yeah. plug. People can check that out at weddingvideographyschool.com. Yeah. Look it up. <laughs> and subscribe. Leave a comment. Uh, we haven't even, I have not talked to you about that. <laughs> so it's crazy that you brought that up. But this idea that 
And yeah. I, I, I agree with you. Like I fall into the, like I lean heavily, I'd say into the second category the second where one. I don't even really talk to my clients that much, which yeah. is a total deviation from what a lot of people do. Yeah. Um, and I've seen those people that want, they just want to be friends with all their clients and yeah. it's cool. And it might like, I think it kind of sets up an interesting life for people where they have yeah. all these acquaintances, but I've found that my clients don't really like, I don't think they have a ton of interest in being my friend. And I think it's kind of weird when you get a photographer or videographer or somebody who kind of latches on and then is like, Hey, let's be friends. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I was just hiring you to shoot some video, but yeah, now you're on my Facebook page. And stuff, and it was just fine. I'm not bashing it, but, uh, yeah. I do. I heavily lean in the other direction. Um, yeah. because, Making friends with these people, it's very time consuming. It is. I, I think. I think it's super time consuming. And if you want to make a ton of money and if you want to shoot, well, like I want to shoot a bunch of weddings, like I, yeah. I can't be trying to do that with every client. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I, I would say knowing knowing who you are and uh, your brand and what your target client is, you definitely uh, yeah need to find out which one you fall under. Are there any... Um, Anything that you do, I don't, psychologically, do you have any psychological <laughs> tricks that you play on clients or anything like that? I know you can't, obviously can't answer. I like can't that. reveal it. Yeah, but I'm just wondering, have you found any, any, any tips that you can give people for actually interacting, whether that's on the phone or via email or something like yeah. that? Because I think people really struggle. Like I get emails all the time from all kinds kinds of people. I get people from the podcast e emailing me. I get clients emailing me. I have strangers emailing me. And it's really interesting <laughs> to see how people communicate, like the different yeah. styles of communication. And I yeah. can definitely tell you that some styles turn me off way more than others. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Do you, is there anything yeah. in particular that you do to help yourself look awesome in front of your clients? I don't know about looking awesome, but <laughs> um, definitely uh, what I wanted to share, and I think it's something that your your listeners would be able to take away, is something that has helped me book clients uh, more uh, as far as communication-wise is getting them on the phone. And I know a lot of people don't like that. I didn't like that. Um, I, I'm more of an email person. I get on the phone. I get weird. I stumble. I forget stuff. But... I just started doing that more and more and it started helping my booking uh, percentage go higher. Um, and the reason being is you make a connection with the person on the phone that you're not able to make with them through an email. Um, some people are really good at emailing and they could email long and get really you know, personal. I'm not that type of person. I'm more of a straightforward type of email, answer your question, provide information and you know, add my signature at the end and that's it. So I knew that wasn't really helping me out. So what I started doing as of last year is trying to get them on the phone. So if it's somebody that really, uh, like for example, on their, um, what is it, on their inquiry uh, form for my website, if they say, I really like your film, or if they compliment something where I really know that they respect what I do and the craft, then I want to get them on the phone because that's somebody that I want to talk to because I feel like already they like me. I, I'm I'm standing 
out from somebody else or these other videographers. So if I get them on the phone, my percentage of uh, being able to book them is going to go higher because I'm going to be able to just uh, talk to them, share with them how I get those videos to look the way they do. And just hearing their uh, wedding story. I mean, I got married a couple years ago, so I, I still like talking about, you know, weddings. I love going to weddings. I love filming weddings. So just sharing that with them, they, they like hearing that. And so I'm just honest and it's not, a, you know, I'm not trying to be a fake person or anything. I'm not, I don't go cheesy on them, but I just tell them, you know, I really enjoy filming weddings. I got married a couple years ago and I love, you know, being part of them. But uh, yeah, I think talking to them on the phone and just hearing their heart and being able to just right off the bat, being able to, you know, uh, address some of their concerns or any questions, answer it right on the phone. To me, it helps out more than emailing them. Awesome. Yeah. And a quick tip, I think it's important for people to kind of communicate. Your clients will kind of, or potential clients, I should say, they'll, they'll kind of guide you in terms of um, how they want you to communicate with them. Um, you know, if they send you an email and they just want an email back, I say, do that. Sometimes yeah. they'll give you their phone number. If they give you their phone number, it means they probably want you to give them a call. Sometimes they'll ask you to give them a call back. And I think if they ask you to do that, then you should. Um, I'm not, I don't love being on the phone. I'm okay at it. Yeah. I, I find that a lot of people call and then I have to tell them that I'm way too expensive for them. Um, but yeah. that's just part of the, that's just part of the process. And you know, some of your best clients are going to come from phone conversations. So you don't want to lose out on that just because you're going to have to say no to a few people over the phone. Um, cause For you sure. will, you will have to do that. Um, you know, but that's, that's just, that's part of the business. So, yeah. Um, let's talk about gear. Like people always want to know about what what camera you're using what all that kind yeah. of stuff and i know we're going to talk a little bit about stabilizers here in a minute gimbals and stuff like that but let's just kind of start out with um probably just cameras and if maybe if you have like a new lens or something that you really like or something like that you can tell me but probably just whatever what are you using for uh for your camera setup these days so i'm using the 60 mark ii so i just picked this up a couple months ago and it's been pretty much, it's been awesome. I love it. So that's a Canon camera. And for it's those yeah. who aren't familiar with it, I don't, I'm not particularly familiar with it. What are the, nah. what are the, what's the resolutions and frame rates on that? Uh, so you're able to get 60 frames at 1080p full frame. Um, it does the face detection uh, focus. So the follow face. How is that autofocus? Is it? Do you Beautiful. think, do you know if it's as good as like the one DX Mark II? Cause I hear that that's like super incredible for autofocus. Yeah. It's just up there. I don't know. I've never compared them. I've never seen comparisons between the two, but basically this camera is like a baby version of the one DX Mark II. So one DX Mark II comes in what at 6,000, uh, the 60 Mark II is about $2,000. It originally was. It, it came in the market a little bit high and then they brought it down during the holidays. Uh, and then all of a sudden everybody's using it. So if you look it up, you'll see all kinds of YouTube videos and tutorials on it. Um, but yeah, as far as when it comes to weddings, it does exactly what I needed to do. So the main things, I didn't think I was going to be using the face focus. Uh, so it's a touch screen. So that's another thing. So you just touch on the, in, on the 
face of whatever you're recording. So say, for example, the bride walking down the aisle, which is a big shot and one that I'm always trying to keep in focus, but it's always tough. <laughs> I know um, the feeling. I just touch on the face and I could just tap every few seconds and it, it's locked in. Now, the first few times you did that, were you like terrified? Yeah, I didn't trust it at first. I was still trying to do it manually and it took, um, I, I, I had two camera bodies that were touch uh, focus and then one that was manual. And I slowly have gone away from my manual one and now it's uh, the majority of the, I, mean, I love shooting just with the 60 Mark II. So yeah, I, it doesn't shoot 4K. Uh, I mean, Canon, they get you know a lot of heat for that. I know the, uh, what is it, the 1DX, it does it, but the files are super huge, so some people don't even like using it. Um, are you using that now? I don't know. No, I, 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 I am know. talking about it a bunch. You've been talking about it. Okay, I wanted to make sure. <laughs> so like part of me, it's like I've talked about before, everybody that is listening to me knows that I've been using the 5D Mark III's forever. Yeah. But, uh, and it's been fine. I've always been annoyed that it doesn't have 1080p at, at 60 frames a second. Yeah. Um, but I've been just chugging along with it. And now yeah. I'm just starting to really, I'm just like, okay, I, I, I think it. this is the year that I really need to get out of this 720 shooting that I've been doing. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, now it is kind of starting to get a little embarrassing now that there's actually a decent amount of people who are shooting in 4K, which I don't necessarily plan on doing anytime soon. You're but right. to have the option to do that, I think would be great. So I have been looking at the the 1DX Mark II and yeah. for for what I want to do for weddings, like, don't get me wrong, like part of me is like, oh, like maybe there's a possibility I could buy like a Red Raven or something like that or whatever, <laughs> yeah. but for weddings, like I know that it's overkill and I know that it's, it's going to be a, a pain. And then you can really only have one depending on like, like I could only afford to have one. I couldn't afford to have like three of them and yeah. let alone like then hire people on top of that to run them and all this stuff. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where I'm definitely thinking about the one DX Mark two. It's been on my mind and maybe I'll yeah. have to look into the 60 S is it is 60 it, Mark two. Yeah. Yeah. The 60 Mark two. Is that a little bit cheaper than the, the five D Mark four? Do you know? Uh, five D Mark four. Yeah, it is. So, cool. so maybe I'll get, maybe I'll get a couple of those and then a one yep. DX Mark two, um, as my main, my a camera or whatever. That's an awesome setup, man. <laughs> yeah that that's what i'm thinking but we'll we'll see i'll i'll keep you guys updated um so that's what you're using now do you have three of those or what do you have like a backup camera or like what's your situation there my situation right now is i have one of those and then i have my 60 uh, as my backup um but yeah the goal is to have three so i'm gonna pick up another 60 mark ii awesome so, yeah, yeah it just you... runs smoother like that especially once we start talking about my stabilizer setup and Basically, yeah. one of the, my cameras is is on that the whole whole day, and that's how I did it last year. Um, I was using the ADD, which is not a full frame camera, but um, yeah, I was able to leave it on my Ronin for the whole day and shoot. It was fine. Awesome. Yeah. Once once you get three cameras, you you'll never go back to just having two. Like no, you'll, you'll, it's so awesome. I remember <laughs> having two cameras like for the it's longest the best. time, and now I'm like. Yeah. 
what was I thinking? Like if one of them stopped yeah. working, I'd only, I'd be down to one camera. That would be insane. Like, yeah, but you don't yeah. really, I don't know. Yeah. I guess when you're, when you're three, starting three out and stuff, you don't really give it much thought. Cause that's just the way it is. But once you get three, you're like, Oh, I can't, I can't go without three. Yeah, I, no, and and I, part of me I, is like, maybe I should have four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you're shooting on your own, right? You don't shoot normally with the second shooter. Right. Or yeah. I mean, second shooter. I, like 50% of the time I'm with a second shooter and oh, half okay. the time I'm by myself. So okay. you want to have, you want to have cameras that are going to work when you want them to work and you want to have a backup in case one decides to just stop working. So that's my, that's my dream setup. Yeah. So that's how I was doing it last year. Three cameras plus my second shooter. I always shoot with the second shooter. So that's what I was asking. Um, yeah. And if that second shooter is bringing a camera, then you're, you're in good shape. Um, but I know two. that. Oh, perfect. So yeah, yeah. You're, you're more than covered. That's how I am with the second shooter too. Like we so have like five, five is good. Us, so we're yep. more than, we're more than okay with that. So yeah, definitely. But, uh, definitely one thing I wanted to touch on before we move on to the next, um, is renting gear. I think for a lot of people that are just starting off, I think renting your gear and not having the pressure of having to buy a camera or a lens. Um, I mean, once you get established and able to, you know, pay for things, I think it's better to do that, but definitely it's okay to rent gear. There's so many places now where you can rent them and they'll ship them to you for four days straight to your house. And you don't have to worry about, you know, if you have it a day longer or so, um, I mean, they let you borrow it to like Monday or Tuesday. So if you're shooting a wedding on Saturday, you know, that's plenty of time to get it back in the mail and send back to them, but not getting charged extra. So yeah, renting is a good way to start off for the first couple of years. What, what has been your experience with renting? Um, like, I know that like, to me, it sounds awesome, right? Cause it's like, you just consider the cost when you're booking the wedding or whatever Yeah, you build it into the package price and all that stuff. Like, yeah, but you know, like part of me is like, man, like how do I know that that camera is going to perform the way it's supposed to when I get it? You know, like that's always my concern. And I yeah. agree. Like, I think it's smart. If like, if you're thinking about buying a certain camera, like I'm thinking about the one DX Mark II, right? Yeah. I have a friend who has it, so I can just borrow it from him for a couple of days and see if I like it. Check it out. Yeah. Um, but I think when you're making a major purchase, especially if you want to get into the higher end cameras, especially anything over five or $6,000, I think you really want to try it out first. But if you're yeah. just, if you're just renting, right, because let's say you have a client that wants you to do 4k or something, and yeah. maybe you're like, well, I only have a bunch of five D's or whatever. So I can't do that. Um, or you don't want to use that ridiculous 1.7 crop on the 5d mark four or whatever. Uh, it, it's yeah. just kind of insane. Uh, yeah. and you're like, okay, I'm going to rent, you know, a camera or three of these things. Like Mike, I'm always so freaked out that like, it's just not going to work properly. Um, have you had any bad experiences renting or is that just kind of not, oh, not really a big deal? Um, I can't even remember the bad experiences because it was probably one or two that I had that I was able to either I had a backup camera or something. Um, but the main thing is I normally only rent what I've already used. So um, for the longest time I had a was it a 5D Mark II. So I would only rent another 5D Mark II if I needed that backup camera for, you know, whatever the job it was. Because that's what I originally started with, 5D Mark II. And I just had one camera body and I was filming weddings with one camera body, one, one lens. And 
So once I started booking more uh, weddings that actually I was charging, you know, a good amount on, I needed that backup camera in case something happened to my first one. So I just rented the same thing. And the place that I go to, I actually, it's, I I get to walk in and try it out before I walk out with it. So they always tell me, bring in uh, your lens. That way you could test it out. So they supply the batteries, uh, bring your memory card. So that way I know it's working fine before I walk out with it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And I'm not trying to scare anybody. I think if you need to rent, that's what you got to do. And there's going to be, I think a little, there'll always be a little bit of risk associated with renting a camera. Cause I mean, you just never know what might be going on with it. Um, but I, I think a lot of times it's unavoidable and you got to do what you got to do to grow your business. So, yeah, uh, not trying to scare anybody, but that, that is always something I'm, I'm like kind of worried about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the thing that everybody wants to hear about all the time. Cause that's all <laughs> people want to talk about is gimbals. Like Stabilizers. what? Yeah. Stay like glide cam. What are you using? Ronins and Mobis. Do you like it? <laughs> yeah. That's, I, that's funny. That's the number one question I get. Oh, how does it compare to this? Or uh, I'm yeah. curious, which and I think you're on the Ronin, right? You said that I'm on before. the Ronin M. Yeah. Is that the, like the first iteration? Are you on the second generation? Do you happen to know which one you're on? Yeah, I'm on the first generation. Okay. I, I had the first one and I really didn't like it that much. I thought Mm -hmm. it was okay, but, and maybe it was just me, but I ended up borrowing a second version for like this weird kitchen showroom shoot that I did, uh, which I don't really do many of those. Kind Tell of us shoots. more about that. No, Michael. You don't want to, well, actually it wasn't that bad. Like I got to go shoot really cool kitchens in yeah. like million dollar homes up in Denver and the Denver real estate market here is just like insane. So I was going into these yeah. really nice, like new houses and shooting these really cool kitchens. Um, and I, but the problem I always had with the original Ronin was the setup time and like carrying it around and moving it from place to place and using the app on the wedding day and all that kind of stuff. I always felt like it was a really big hassle and it sounds like you've been using it for longer than I was. So maybe you've kind of dialed it in a little bit and kind of have a better feel for it. But I will say that second, so the second Ronin that I used was actually their second generation one. And I was actually able to throw the camera on there with very limited time. So not a lot of time to do all the balancing and all that kind of stuff. Uh, And it performed like pretty well given the situation. So um, tell us a little bit about the Ronin and then we'll, we'll move on and talk about some of the other options out there. Yeah. So the, uh, yeah, it definitely gets quicker once you have it and you've been using it for a while. So my setup time for that is under five minutes. Um, I carry it in a backpack. It's already set up with the uh, detachable uh, Manfrotto base. So it just slides right on. So I just I did order that separate, and that enables me to take it off and put it onto any of my, my monopod, my tripod. But it's already centered. So all I really have to do is turn it on, open the app, and I've only think been to one location where it didn't have good reception and it was really tough to get it balanced, but that was only one time. And I, I, I was able to do it afterwards, but it took a little bit longer than five minutes, but 
for the most of the part, it takes two, three minutes. Uh, it balances and it's good to go. So the drawback with the Ronin is that you do have the stand that comes with it. So I've uh, limited my shooting with it to only certain shots that I know um, I want to have that, which is good too, because I think just like a slider or a drone, you could overkill over using any one of these tools too much. And so my goal is never to do that, to keep the viewer uh, engaged with the edit as they're viewing it and they don't get bored with the same shot. Um, so I only use it for uh, romantic shots, which I know are your favorite. <laughs> a little sarcasm. I know. I know. Everybody <laughs> everybody hates me for not liking those shots, but no, I, I mean, I just don't think I'm that great at it. I think I yeah. think the thing is is there's people out there who make it look awesome and I make it look awkward. I make it look fine. I did but, one actually yeah. this year that I was super happy with. I did it on the Glide Cam, uh yeah. the Devin Graham series Glide Cam, which I really like. Nice. Um it, it turned out fine. The couple was good. Like, I always feel like it, it really comes down to the couple. Yeah. Like some couples sure. are just awesome at doing that stuff. Yeah. But I, maybe I've always, I don't know. I feel like half my clients aren't really those kinds of couples to just kind of naturally fall into that, like acting kind of mode, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I really only do, I always tell them too, I'm going to just do this for five minutes and that means I'm going to pose you. I'm going to have you hold hands. So I usually start off with shots of them holding hands, walking. So I'm not even worried about their face or their expression on their face. I kind of warm them up into it and I'm doing this alongside the photographer. So usually they're, you know, coaching them and telling them, you know, how to do things. But that's all I really get. Just walking shots, romantic shots, looking at each other, looking off. You know, as they're walking, if it's an open field or we're at the beach. Um, the other reason or the other time that I would use it is if uh, they're doing a first look um, as she's walking towards the groom. Um, I have my second shooter already locked in with his tripod or monopod, getting my other angle. And the third time would be uh, first dance. So just get a couple sh glide shots and then I put it down. So I'm not even shooting the whole dance with it. So I'm literally only looking for three good shots that I could use with that. Oh, and one more, the, uh, what is it? Um, is it the send off? No, no, the no. Exit? Well, if they do that too, but the detail shots. So one okay. thing that I, that I started adding more on this past year, and it's because, uh, these weddings are just getting bigger and more, um, they're just spending more money on flowers, on centerpieces, on their arch for the ceremony that they're under. Um, and so they want either the planner wants it for sure, uh, the bride wants it, or the florist wants it. So I'm using glide shots of that um, because I I just feel it, it looks more it looks nicer. You have a nice little panning shot of it, um, but that's really all I use it for. Details, couple romantic shots, first dance. That's the main shots that I'm getting for that. And the Ronin, I think it's perfect for those shots because I'm able to dial down how slow I want the pan. I could tilt up and down. Uh, just with the handles. Um, I mean, the only really bad part is if we're doing romantics, I have to carry the stand with me if we're walking, you know, up a hill or, you know, certain locations that are further away. So I am looking for something that I could use alongside the Ronin M. So a uh, handheld, um, like the Zion Crane 2 is one that I'm looking at really closely right now. Uh, but DJI is also coming up with their own version of a handheld one that I'm keeping an eye on as well. Yeah, and that's the Ronin S, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. 
it looks it looks cool <laughs> i saw some people using it at like either it must have been like ces or something one of those trade shows and uh okay it looked cool but it had it's like it seemed like it had the same issues that a lot of these gimbals have where it's only yeah. three access uh three axis stabilization and so you still get the walking motion yeah up and down if you're if you're holding it you can still see it going like this yeah uh, which um i'm not a big fan of which is actually why i really like the glide cam because i don't really get that motion uh yeah when i'm using the glide cam so you definitely need to practice your ninja walk with that one Oh, with the glide cam or with the Ronin? <laughs> no, with the uh, with the other handheld ones, like the Zion Crane. Um, yeah, because it doesn't have anything else besides your arm that's able to take away your footstep walking. So you definitely your walking needs to be dialed down um, to slow moving steps. Yeah, yeah, I've seen those tutorial videos on YouTube of people walking like idiots around yeah yeah it doesn't like, you don't look very cool is this what i gotta do now is this is what <laughs> this is what i've become a guy that yeah. has to walk in a very distinct manner uh yeah and i've tried it man and i i think it came down to i didn't give it enough practice which is probably what most things come down to yeah um any so you're kind of keeping your eye out on those other stabilizers anything Talk about the crane one, maybe talk about like may like what would make you switch? Uh, so what I'm looking for is, yeah, something that I'm able to still control the panning up and down um, at with ease as I'm walking. So I needed to be I need to be able to move and and be able to control up and down. So with the Ronin, I'm able to do that. Uh, so one of the reasons why I'm looking People are probably wondering why are you looking to change. Two reasons: one, because it needs to stand always around in order for you to uh, balance it and to give you rest, because it's the, actually the heaviest out of all the stabilizers. Um, and the other reason is it's big. You're holding it with two hands and your arms out. And one of the other shots that I just remembered right now is when the bride and groom is after they've done their first kiss, they said their I do's and they start walking down the aisle away. I, I've been recording this as well, and it's really awkward to be in small venues, and if you're in uh, close proximity to the people, the guests that are sitting in the aisle, to be with your two arms up holding the Ronin. It just, I, I, I'm never one to draw attention as I'm shooting. I like to kind of, you know, get my shots without people knowing that I'm there. That's kind of my style. Yeah. And so having a handheld one would be perfect because I could just, it'll just be hidden in front of me as I'm walking back with the bride and groom. So, uh, yeah, being able to have something like that, that is not as big for certain places would be key. Yeah. Well, with the Ronin, you kind of look like the karate kid or something like <laughs> trying, to, trying to move around the room or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, look like and you're so, riding one of those giant motors, the handlebar motorcycles. <laughs> you look like a chimpanzee, like holding this thing up in the air. Walking around. Yeah, yeah, and that was people... the thing that I didn't like. Man, was it was it was just such it was so cumbersome. And out here in Colorado, we do a lot of ski resort weddings, right? So you're you they'll put you on a ski lift, and you gotta sit your ass on this little tiny ski lift with no bar and hold on to all your gear, and the oh, yeah. and it's like and now you've yeah, like they'll put you on with like, I've got all my equipment on the seat next to me on a seat that's like 
this like i i don't know how much people can see in the camera but, like this little tiny seat and i'm just holding on to everything and you're like 20 feet above the ground and it's holding like on a dear life yeah, yeah so uh the ronin was just and i get so sweaty man like they're like okay we're gonna go up on the photographers like we're gonna go up on that ridge up there but that's where we're gonna shoot and i'm like finishing up balancing the ronin on the stand and i'm like uh should i bring the stand with me should i just carry this like i don't know it's like i always so annoyed with it so i'm i'm actually looking forward to the ronin s and these kinds of handheld ones yeah i'm just also like like let's get it so that it can bounce up and down you know yeah. what i mean and so that it really is smooth because right now i feel like most of the gimbals i can always even in the like the i'll watch a lot of netflix documentaries where i can tell they're using a ronin or a movie or something and you can still kind of see that Spot electronic it. kind of movement, movement. You know? and yeah. i'm like man it just doesn't look as good <laughs> as the glide cam but the glide cam takes a, a lot of practice and so it's kind of like either you yeah. practice a bunch or you'd go a little bit easier, but you, then you got to kind of put up with the, the, the other movement that I, I don't love so much, but I think I'm being too hard on my, myself probably. Cause I think most clients probably don't notice it. So, um, yeah. So I, I, I think some of the cameras too are trying to eliminate that with the built-in stabilization and, I see a lot of video, or not a lot, but more than before, videographers hand-holding their cameras for certain shots. Like you're saying, if they had to go to the top of a rock with the, the photographer and the bride and groom, then they're just relying on their camera stabilization now. Yeah, which I think you can do with like some of the Sonys. They've got that built-in stabilization that's really great. Um, Canon is never going to do that, probably. No. but. Uh, in 20 years <laughs> yeah in 20 in 20 years when when nobody's shooting videos anymore we're yeah. all living in virtual reality or something um <laughs> yeah so with the 60s you were talking about the autofocus how do you stay how do you keep people in focus with the ronin because you're you're holding on like you said with both hands are you just doing the thing where you have them stand a certain distance get your focus while you hold it with one arm and then just have yeah. them stay the same distance from you? Or are you able to actually use that autofocus feature that you're the face tracking? Is, yeah. Is that working for you or what are you doing there? It is. So that's the great thing about that. So you could just use the autofocus on their face and it doesn't matter the distance. It's, as long as they don't turn sideways, then you are locked in pretty much and you don't have to worry. So I've been able to dial down my f-stop to, you know, 2.8 um, I've tried it 1.8 with my 50 millimeter lens and it's just gorgeous because it stays locked in your depth of field is you know so nice that everything else is blurred out around them but uh, yeah so basically I hold it with one hand tap it make sure that they're locked in I let them know you know at the count of three we're gonna start walking for example if I'm going for the walking shot one two three and then I just pick it up with two hands and I, I'm just walking with them. And so at this point, it's locked in on them. So I could have them, uh, I could coach them and tell them, you know, go ahead and lean in for a kiss, have them kiss. Okay, now turn around, hold hands and walk away from me. And now I'm focusing on their hands. And so it's, it, it does take a little uh, time when you have to switch, hold it with one hand, tap it, and then bring it back to two hands. Uh, at the end of the day, certain shoots, I am very tired because my arm <laughs> is going through that motion so many times. 
Um, so it, it, it gives me beautiful footage. I'm very happy with it. Um, and one, but, one beautiful bicep probably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one, one awesome forearm. Uh, yeah. And the shoulders. So that's the only drawback with that. Definitely. Yeah. Trying to get rid of that pretty soon. <laughs> With, with the next so, stabilizer so do you feel like that face tracking is that really like did they build that with the intention of faces is that really where it shines like you because you mentioned that if they turn sideways then it kind of doesn't really work as well do you think the camera's looking for facial features or what do you think is going on there uh i don't know you're asking the wrong person <laughs> yeah yeah I, no. I, I do believe it, it's the eyes the nose and maybe the mouth i don't know because you, you said that if they turn sideways so if if you lose their face will it focus on the side of their head or does it get does it seem to get confused it, it gets confused okay so and, it does but, sound like they've kind of built it for faces which is great but well, yeah it has i two guess options it has that and then it also has the uh the one touch focusing so you could do either face tracking, the one touch focusing, or you could turn it off. Uh, so the one touch focusing, uh, for example, if I'm doing a, let's see, what's a good example? If I'm doing a shot of a table, uh, detail shots, and I have it on my tripod or monopod, then I could touch on the flowers that are in the centerpiece. And then say there's, you know, more flowers in the background, I could then touch on the flowers on the background and then it focuses on the other um flowers without a problem and then i could control how quick it does that so it has a you and can when you're doing that the, when you're doing that you're just using one arm right and then you'll like you'll take one arm or something and then you'll tap or something are well, you trying to do it in the mid like do you ever do it nah. in the middle of the shot or you just it's not with the Ronin. So this is on my monopod or tripod because okay, yeah, gotcha. I, I, I wouldn't be able to do it with the Ronin because I need that other hand to okay. do the touch. Yeah. So yeah, the times that you could use it are, yeah, if you're doing or during the ceremony, this was really key because when you're, I'm feel the cer filming the ceremony, I have the officiant usually on one side, I have the bride or groom in the middle and then I have the bride and groom on the other side facing me. So you usually only see two faces. So usually I shoot the bride, for example, and so I have the bride's face and the officiant's face, and I have the groom's back to me. So I, if the officiant's talking, I tap on his face, and he's locked in. And then from time to time, I focus on the bride. So if I'm a really shallow depth of field, then when she starts talking, then I tap on her, and I know she's in focus. Awesome. Yeah, man, I I'm loving this like new autofocus. So the the six D, Mark two, Mark two. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna look that up. I'm gonna look that up, and I I might skip. If, if those are a little cheaper, I might not get the Mark fours. I might just go to the those six D Mark twos. That sounds cool. Um, so yeah, like we're out of time, but um. No, what, I know. <laughs> like, I always feel like these things go really short because I could just go on forever, which people really love. I know people, <laughs> people love when I keep talking. Uh, you have that voice, Michael. Oh, I've got the, I've got, yeah, the voice and the look. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, so where can people find out more about you? More importantly, where can they follow follow you on Instagram? And yeah, all that follow me on Instagram at Miguel Garcia Studios. Um, 
also, uh, yeah, we're doing a, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be starting my first workshop. It's in cool. the talks and it's coming soon. So perceive value. This is one way being an educator, being uh, one that teaches others. That's kind of where my, the future of uh, my business and for this year where I'm going. So um, we haven't got a date yet, but if you guys DM me, Miguel Garcia Studios on my Instagram, I'm pretty good at getting back at everybody. Also, my uh, email info at miguelgarciastudios.com. So, um, yeah. Do you have uh, specific topics that you, you think you might want to hit on the in, the in the workshop, or is it too soon to really talk about any of that stuff? No. Well, actually, what we went, went over today is uh, I'm going to be going to it more into detail, so breaking down the actual packages. Um, going more into detail, perceived value, you know, what – what's going to make you stand out from the rest, how you want to um, present yourself as a business owner to, you know, be able to charge that top dollar. And um, the other side of that is we're going to be doing, uh, I'm teaming up with somebody else and we're going to be doing a social media uh, talk as well. So um, I don't know. I, I get some bookings through my Instagram, but my friend is just killing it. Half of her bookings are coming through Instagram and she has like, over 20k followers and uh she really has a system down and so she's going to be sharing um how how she's been able to do this and been able to book directly from instagram um clients and so uh that we're going to go over gear so our goal is to have all our gear out that we shoot up shoot at our at a wedding that way people can actually pick it up you know if they want to shoot with the ron in uh we're going to have a bride and groom there so they could actually pose and you know we could show them how we the shots that we get. So it's uh, really hands-on and uh, open discussion for them. That's awesome, man. That sounds really, that sounds really great. Well, we'll have you back on the show to promote that and uh, talk about some more stuff in the future, man. As always, it's great talking to you. Thank you so much for, for helping me out and for helping uh, our listeners out and, and the viewers as well. That's, it's, uh, it's always a pleasure, man. Thank you. Anytime. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed Miguel Garcia of MiguelGarciaStudios.com. Make sure you check him out and uh, send him an email. Let him know that this podcast was useful to you. And uh, he's he's such a good guy. Uh, hopefully he can connect with a few of you out there. And uh, and who knows? Maybe it's maybe it's the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Uh, uh, if you like this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes. I know it's a pain in the ass. I hate leaving reviews, but I listen to a ton of podcasts and I always leave reviews for the podcasts I like because I know it helps them out a ton. So if you like this podcast, please, 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 uh, just take a few minutes to review it. Um, make sure you check out wedding videography school dot com for all the great resources there. And if you guys have questions for me, uh, maybe you have an idea for the podcast or something you want to hear, shoot me your questions at Michael at wedding videography school.com. That's M I C H A E L. And, uh, next week we are going to have on the podcast, Mina. So Mina is, uh, a female wedding videographer. I say female only because, um, I've had some requests to bring, uh, some female guests on the show. So I am making an effort to do that. Um, but she's going to be on the show next week. You won't believe how she grew her wedding videography business from one wedding to 26 weddings in 
about a year's time, which I just think is really, really incredible. Uh, so we're going to have her on the show to talk about that. And uh, we'll do some Q&A with Mina, who is still uh, somewhat of a newbie to the business, right? She's been doing this for a year. So uh, I think she's going to have a decent amount of questions to ask me. And uh, hopefully she can teach me something. And hopefully um, I can teach her something as well. And we can all benefit. So until next time, guys, get out there, shoot, and have a great day. Hey guys, this episode of Wedding Videography School is brought to you by Photographers Wearing Wide Brim Hats. Uh, Photographers Wearing Wide Brim Hats is the nation's number one wedding photography company, and for good reason. Uh, They are clearly the most creative, most unique uh, individuals out there, and their photography is so creative, I can't even begin to describe how creative it is. That's how creative it is. If you guys are working with photographers who aren't wearing wide brim hats, then you're probably not working with the best photographers out there. So, um, you know, whether you're having a wedding, a birthday party, uh, or you're taking your kids to school, or you're hanging out at home, or going to the bathroom, you know, all things that you want photographed creatively, um, it should be done by photographers wearing wide brim hats. A lot of you guys, I know you're working with photographers who aren't wearing wide brim hats. They might not be wearing hats at all. And um, that's a problem. If they're not wearing a wide brim hat, I don't know what the point of them even picking up a camera is. But when you work with photographers wearing wide brim hats, you know that you're always getting someone who's going to uh, give you the most incredible shots that you could imagine. So for your next event, whether it's a wedding, a birthday party, a family reunion, uh, your mom's pap smear, whatever the event, make sure that you hire photographers wearing wide brim hats um, to get the most creative still images captured, you know, one frame at a time. And that's what, that's what photography is. It's, you know, you hear the click, click, and you know you got one frame. And then you hear another click. Sometimes you hear eight clicks in a row, like click, 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 click. Uh, that, they just got eight pictures. And maybe one of them is good. Probably not. But the photographer wearing a wide brim hat, they are going to call those photos later on and, you know, really, really select the eight or six shots that they got from the entire day um, that they stood in front of the videographer to get. And they're going to they're going to edit those down into something truly magical, probably um, probably just two eight by tens that you can put in the living room next to the closet door. So give photographers with wide brim hats a call today and book them for your next event.